You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Thank you for listening. This is episode 706 of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Charlotte Greenway in for Nick as he enjoys his richly deserved holiday following his work at the Dubai World Cup meeting on Saturday. And that's where we'll start before Lee Mosshead joins me to discuss the horses to take away from that meeting, affordability checks, the derby and more. First though, reflecting on the meeting from Maidan and yet again the Japanese shone on a global stage and I caught up with Nihiro Goda earlier from the Green Channel, a regular on this podcast for his insight into the international Japanese runners. We of course had to start with the demolition job by Equinox in the Shima Classic, beating the likes of Irish Derby winner Westover and I asked Nihiro whether that was the type of form that he'd been showing back in Japan. Yeah, well, you know, when I saw he hit the front soon after the break, that was uh, very surprising, you know. That was not st- uh, tactics which I didn't expect at all. Well, it was surprising, but, you know, he, he, he was, you know, taking a lead, leading the, you know, field so easily. And now when, when Equinox, you know, with uh, Christopher Lumel on board, came into the straight, you know, the Christopher was moving without moving nothing oh i thought you know he he, he must win by far <laughs> and and that he did and hard held as well do you think he could maybe be an an arc de triomphe horse well uh, i spoke when i spoke to the connections before the dubai the connections you know didn't show any interest in sending equinox to france because you know because of the ground you know, in the last few e- few years, the ground at Paddy Ronshan Racecourse, you know, was very, very heavy and slow. And the connections of Equinox thinks, you know, um, it's, it's very tough to handle. Well, of course, the connections are thinking about uh, another international campaign, but uh, it looks that this destination is not France. Moving on to Derma Sutagake, who was himself an impressive winner of the UAE Derby. It sounds like he's set for the Kentucky Derby next. Would would he be one of the best three-year-olds in Japan? Yes, yeah, Dilema Sotogake, you know, is definitely the best three-year-old dad horse in Japan. He's a winner of the Zen Nihon Nisei Yushin. You know, this is a kind of the championship race for two-year-old on dirt. Now, you know, he won UAE Derby so easily. Actually, I spoke to... Mr. Otonashi, the trainer before Saudi Derby, before UAW, you know, he has been always, always very, very eager to send him to the Kentucky for Kentucky Derby. Now, you know, yes, uh, I know uh, Dilema Sotogake is leaving Dubai probably on Monday and the flight straight to Kentucky. And uh, yes, I think, you know, Dilema Sotogake is, I think, you know, strongest. Uh, Japanese runners, you know, ever competing in Kentucky Derby. And as a race, would the Kentucky Derby have a big following back in Japan? It was similar to the ARC? Well, yes, yes. Yes, Charlotte. Now, you know, since the introduction of the Kentucky Derby points 
uh, introducing uh, some, you know, Japanese races. Um, since then, many trainers and many owners have started to show their interest. Yes, you know, to run, to have a runner in Kentucky Derby is now one of the dream for owners and trainers in Japan. And it looks like they're going to have a good chance in it and certainly something um, bit of something exciting. And moving on to the final winner, the winner of the big race, Ushvar Tesoro. He was very impressive. Right. He looked good in Japan. Did did you think he could beat Tio Keynes? Yes, I, th- I thought so. You know, Ushvar Tesoro is a kind of the rising star. You know, he's now rising like a skyrocket. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's by Olfevel. Uh, our family is sending a lot of lot of international winners like Marcia Lolind, who won previous cup this stuff a couple of years ago. Yes, you know, I thought Shubat Tesoro was a has the best chance among eight Japanese runners in the Dubai World Cup. And originally he ran on the turf before making the transition to the dirt, so is there a chance he could revert back to the turf in the future? Well, the plan is go back to turf. You know, when I talk to the owner after the Dubai World Cup, the owner has a big ambition to uh, send Ushiba Tesoro to France for the Arctic Triumph. You know, Charlotte, as you told me, um, Ushiba Tesoro was running races on turf. At that time, Ushiba Tesoro handled deep tough truck very very well so the owner mr kenji realtor because you understand you know shiba tesoro is suitable host to send to france for the arc so i think it's a very very interesting challenge very interesting and of course his sire that you mentioned before Orfev, he threw away the arc so maybe his son can now win it for japan Exactly, you know, Orfebvre finished second in the arc twice, you know, um, and as far as uh, Kentucky Derby, you know, to win the Arc de Triomphe is a dream for all the Japanese owners and trainers, and uh, yes, we will see how Ushiba Tesoro make a trip to France and how will he compete against the top Europeans at the Paris Ranchan in October. Now here I go to there, and Lee Mossed is alongside me. Lee, first off, what did you make of Equinox's performance? Wow, um, I thought he was um, astonishingly impressive, Charlotte. Um, for anybody who has seen his Japanese performances, of which there haven't been many, he's a lightly raced horse who still hadn't really come into his own when the Japanese 2000 Guineas and Derby um, took place earlier last year but in those two group one wins particularly in the arima kinnon on christmas day he stamped himself to be uh, undoubtedly a top class performer but to go from that to what he did on saturday was another huge leap forward uh, it was simplicity itself christophe lemaire just let it bowl along and then when he pressed the the go button the response was immediate and I mean, it, it, this wouldn't be the very deepest Group 1 middle-distance field we'll see assembled all year. But equally, they weren't bad horses. Westover is a solid yardstick. He's probably the most solid yardstick in the field. And I think there's every indication that he has come right back to his best, or close to his best, in that performance on Saturday. And to beat him while barely coming off the bridle um, in contemptuous fashion was sensational um 
I, I already think it is hard to imagine that even though, you know, we, we, we've not even got to the turf season in Britain yet, I think it's hard to imagine that we will see a better racehorse in 2023. I mean, I, I, in some ways, I hope we do, because if we do, goodness, we've been spoiled. But if we don't, then he is already more than worthy of um, world champion status. And I hope he builds on that. I guess the sadness is that because of his his ground what we perceive to be his ground requirements and what connections perceive to be his ground requirements it seems unlikely we'll see him in the arc maybe saturated for the breeders cup although we'll just go back to the ground point and say that his site Kitasan black posted his best racing post rating on soft ground so there's a glimmer of hope that he might be effective on it, even though he looks like a fast ground performer to watch him race but wherever he goes on whatever ground in whatever country he will be box office and from one superstar to another, Frankie Dottori, it was great to see him get his win on Lord North. It would have been a bit of a shame if he'd have gone home with nothing, wouldn't it? It would, it would. And um, great to see him winning on another old stager as well, because Lord North is a horse who, this is his Gold Cup, isn't it, every year? You know, this is his grand final, as the Aussies say. Um, he excels in this race. Um, it's often a race that looks better going into it than going out of it. And Lord North is a horse who, although very good, I think we have seen these days probably not quite good enough to win the best European Group 1 turf uh, races. But in this race, he really does dazzle. Frankie gave him a ride with all the bravura, all the flair, all the confidence you expect of El Dottori. Um And he was fantastic. But I think in some ways it underlines how thrilling Equinox was that even in his final year, in his final Dubai World Cup meet, Frankie Dottori was pushed off the, 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 the top of the bill headlines by uh, an exceptional thoroughbred. Ryan Moore, he deserves a mention, of course. He's continued his hot streak. He had a double on the night with Broom in the Gold Cup and Sibelius in the Golden Shaheen. Do you think Broom could be a Ascot Gold Cup contender now? I think he could, yeah. I mean, by, by the sounds of it, from what Aidan O'Brien is saying, that there will be a major doubt about Kiprios making the, the Gold Cup um, this year. He might well be uh, geared towards an autumn campaign following a setback. And if that is the case, it will be logical for Ballydor to aim Broom towards the the Gold Cup. He's that sort of mould of Ballydor Gold Cup horse. They've tended to go into the race with horses who are already established as high-class, middle-distance performers who they believe will stay the extra distance. Aidan O'Brien has got a superb record at identifying the ones who will stay the extra distance. Certainly the way he finished that race out on Saturday would give you real hope that two and a half miles would be within his capabilities. I also thought as well that Subjectivist ran a a really encouraging race in, in third on his belated return to racing um, in Saudi Arabia. Um, there wasn't a huge amount of, of positivity to take from it, but he, to me, he looked much more like his old self in this race. The Johnson team have done a, a tremendous job to get it back, um, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's a major player in the Gold Cup. I, said, I, I, thought, I thought the sparkle was there on Saturday. And if I was looking at Royal Ascot anti-post markets now, I'd be thinking 10 to 1, 11 to 1 about subjectivists. And the Gold Cup that could potentially fall apart um, is interesting. Yeah, of course. And Trushan, no doubt, will be lining up as well. And um, Ground-dependent with him, isn't he? I mean, that's always mm. the thing with Trushan. 
You know, if he doesn't get the rain, he wouldn't go there. If Kipros doesn't go there, we might be without a superstar. Aidan Bryan's talking also about aiming Emily Dickinson uh, towards that race as well. But there's without Kiprios, there isn't really a two-mile, two-and-a-half-mile superstar in the lineup if he doesn't get to the race. And, and that could leave the way open for um, a horse-like subjectivist to come back and do it again. Finally, Lee, just reflecting on the last race on the card, the showpiece, the Dubai World Cup, Ashbar Tesoro, he won and he could be a fascinating runner in the arc should he line up as Nahiro suggested. And we're going to hear from Ed Crisford in a second, reflecting on the second Algiers' run. What did you make of the way the race was run? And do you think Algiers was unlucky? I mean, I have to say, I have never, ever seen a jockey um, as desperate to get to the front as Yutaka Yoshida was on Panthalassa. Um, I mean, I thought that horse's chance had gone pretty much as soon as they got round the that first corner because he went off like the absolute clappers on that horse. I know he's a confirmed front runner, but he was never going to last home going at that speed, um, which was which was a shame. Um, I think if you if you were watching the race on TV and your screen had frozen as they turned for home, you would pretty much have already written into the the Dubai World Cup uh, Roll of Honour, Algiers name because he was cantering when he got to the front. And although in the end, the distance has probably found him out on this occasion, um, and he's been beaten by a very good horse in, in Ushba Tesoro, um, I think all in defeat, Algiers has really confirmed himself to be uh, a proper group or perhaps more likely grade one performer in the States. Um, remarkable, really, because I think... He, he is a horse who looked to the top of the straight, although he could become Britain's second ever winner of the Dubai World Cup. And I would have taken him for Team GB, despite what um, some in Dubai have been saying. That they've been arguing he, he was Dubai trained, but he's got British-based training, so I, I, call, I call him a Team GB horse on this occasion. But he, he showed himself to be a, a group grade one class horse, which is amazing, given that I think at the end of last year, if you'd shouted out his name to even a lot of really enthusiastic flat rating fans they wouldn't have known who he was his progress has been fantastic for the Chrisfords they've been a really really good racehorse um, I think it just be a case of now finding the right opportunities for him well now let's get the thoughts of trainer Ed Crisford who's been out in Dubai Ed firstly well done Algiers ran a huge race what did you make of his performance uh, he ran an absolutely fantastic race um, he really did the stable proud and all of us proud. Um, but as you say, it was just run down late. They went a blistering early, um, early fractions early on. I mean, I think the first two furlongs were quicker than the Golden Shaheed, which is the sprint on the same day on the dirt. Um, they were about going, I think in that race, the Golden Shaheed, they were going 45 miles per hour and they were going 44 miles per hour for the, um, in the World Cup. So I mean, they were just ripping it up, and it took its toll on the on the on the front rank, and um, you know. But he ran a he ran a he ran a huge race, and all credit to the horse to stay where he was. He could have easily he could have easily stopped at the one pole, and you know he he's going backwards, but he battles for second, so it was a great effort. And it's very much the fact that you know they did go quick up front, but you don't think he's better horse maybe over nine furlongs. Well, we, we we've been talking about it. Uh, since the race, obviously, and, and, and that has come up quite a lot. But it's very hard to say if 
I mean, he looked good over sort of 1900 when he won the round two of the Maxim Challenge, albeit a completely different style of race. But it's just hard to tell when they go that quick early and, and you know, all the horses around him sort of stopped a lot quicker than him. And the horses from the back, sort of, they were the ones finishing. So it, it's hard to know. It could be a mixture. It could be a mixture whether nine's his best trip, but I think time will time, but only we'll find out with time, I suppose. But great effort anyway, and I, I just couldn't be happier with him. And what's the plans for him now? Will he, I take it, he'll come home and then would you try him again on the turf? Well, he's going to go back to Newmarket um, and have a sort of two-month holiday in a paddock he deserves. He's been on the go sort of since last October, so with some sort of hard racing and um, have a little holiday. And then we'll, we haven't really sort of discussed proper future plans, but I don't see him running on turf again. I mean whether we run him on the all-weather or something, um, as sort of a prep run, <clears throat> I, I don't know, but I, I would say he, he won't be seeing tough again. So something like the Breeders' Cup in, in the autumn would be an obvious target for him? Well, exactly, exactly. Um, <clears throat> sorry. He could get into, um, yeah, either either the Marl or the Classic, I suppose, for the Breeders' Cup. And uh, I, I think if, you know, if we're surrounding at something in America, that would be it. But um, he, uh, you know, he's proven himself with with the world's top dirt horses, um, right at the top table, and um, he didn't disgrace himself at all. So I mean, he, he he deserves the chance to be running in these big races, and uh, you know they're, they're 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 worth a lot of money these races. So you know we need to keep him good for for, for the dirt races end of, end of the year. Just looking ahead to this weekend's racing, the flat season kicks off in the UK at Doncaster. You've got two entries in the Lincoln, is the plan to run them both? The plan is to run them both. Um, I, I have been, we have been monitoring weather. It, a while would need it, with, with, with definitely would need rain, which I think there is, it, there's quite a lot to at Doncaster this week. Um, but uh, he, uh, they're both in great form, they're both in training super well into this spring, into, into the Lincoln. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, they're, they're, they've, they've got the right profile, both of them, you know, they're both winners last time, and Krupe sort of a sneak in, just sort of off bottom weight nearly, um, and, but they've both got the right sort of profile for a Lincoln. Yeah, a while, he, he's quite well fancied, he's quite a short price, and he's a lightly raced horse, he didn't race at two, he just had the four runs last year at three, raised nine pounds for his win at red car last october you must hope there's still plenty of improvement in him yeah no absolutely he um he's very lightly raced didn't run at two he just took a long time to come to hand and then three he you know we, we again he was just we had such a dry summer it was it was just well as we all remember it was about heat waves so there wasn't any ground for him so we could have had to put him away in the middle of the summer um, and then we gave him one run at the backhand on 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 at red car, and he he won. He looked very good that day. And he's a he's a, a horse on the up for sure. Just before I let you go, have you got one to watch for the season ahead? Well, I like a horse called Poker Face, who's owned by Edware. Um, he'll be running in a listed race, I think, this weekend. Um, either at Doncaster or 
the Magnolia at Kempton. Um, but he's 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 unbeaten and and he's uh, he's likely race as well. He could be a he could be a fun horse for the uh, for the table and for the owner. Perfect. Well, that's great. Thanks so much for talking to me, Ed. And best of luck, not just this weekend, but for the season ahead. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Sarah. Talking about the Lincoln there, that meeting kicks off the UK flat season on Saturday at Doncaster. And there, the new whip rules for flat jockeys will be in play as they come into force this evening at Wolverhampton for the first time. So for the next week or so, it could be interesting to see what, if any, attention or controversy this attracts. Lee, you've written a couple of interesting articles over the weekend. Firstly, on the start time of the Derby changing. What's the story there? Yeah, almost certainly will be, Charlotte. I've got to be honest, I hadn't realised until the middle of last week that this year's uh, Derby is going to be run on the same day as the FA Cup final, um, which has been delayed because of the, the World Cup in Qatar last winter. Now, in itself... It's probably not a great news story for the racing, for the racing that the derbies and take place on the same day as the FA Cup final. Two great national events taking place on the same day, and realistically, the, the FA Cup final is an event that will attract more eyes and more attention than the derby. But the the immediate uh, problem potentially for the derby is when will the derby be run? In recent years, it's taken place at four thirty. Uh, aside from the, the COVID year when it's pushed back beyond that. But 4.30 has been the Derby start time. Now, the last three FA Cup finals have taken place between 4.45 and 5.30. We won't know uh, until the semi-finals have been played uh, towards the end of April what time the Cup final will be scheduled for. But one would imagine it will again be between about 4.45 and 5.30. Because the FA Cup final is broadcast not just by the BBC but by ITV, it means ITV has a bit of a broadcast headache in trying to accommodate the Derby and the FA Cup final. Last year's FA Cup final, ITV went on air two hours before kickoff of the of the game. So it was 4:45 last year. They went to air at 2:45. You'd imagine they want a proper build-up to the kickoff. So say you assume the the game started at say five o'clock. One would imagine at the very latest, ITV would want to go on air from Wembley at four o'clock, bearing in mind it would be in competition with the BBC, and they won't want the BBC having free reign to do the build-up on its own. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if we had a derby at around three o'clock-ish um, on derby day, but I said we won't know for sure until the Cup semi-finals have taken place. What we also don't know yet, as well as not when the derby will be started, is will the derby have a sponsor um we're just over two months away now from uh, the world's greatest flat race um and it hasn't got a backer as yet when kazoo came in to sponsor the race two years ago it was only announced on the first of april so we're closing in on that so that would have been this week two years ago kazoo proved to be a shortlist sponsor of the derby we don't know yet who will sponsor the derby or whether it will be sponsored or not i guess the jockey club there is the, the the difficult balancing act to make between you don't want to, in effect, give away the sponsorship because you devalue it, but equally the Derby is a £1.5 million horse race and they will want some sort of sponsor in there. There's generally been agree, an agreed position that a bookmaker would not be a preferred uh, sponsor for the Derby. Not that there's anything wrong with bookmakers, but the Derby is seen as a blue-chip sporting event 
and you want a commensurate, sorry, a, 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 a comparable, comparable sort of sponsor, um, and also a sponsor that might potentially take the race to a new audience. But at this stage, we're saying we're two months out, we haven't got a name uh, in the frame. That might well change this week. Um, but certainly a lot of things we don't yet know about the Derby. We also don't know when the 2000 Guineas will be run because that clashes with the King's Coronation. So again, that could have a later uh, a later off top news because again, the King's Coronation will be broadcast on ITV as well as the BBC. So the two premier Colts classics um, this year, both having big, big clashes. But what does it say for our sport if we can't find a sponsor for possibly the biggest and certainly the most prestigious race in the UK? Well, I think even if we can find a sponsor, the fact that we haven't found a sponsor until now clearly indicates that it's not an easy landscape at the moment. We shouldn't forget that, say, Kazoo only came in two months before the 2021 race. Uh, it now turns out that, from what we've heard, subsequent to Kazoo ending its sponsorship, that it was very clear to the Jockey Club when it signed the deal that it had no great desire to activate the sponsorship. And by that, we mean do lots of advertising and promotions itself around the race. In effect, he just left it to, to the Jockey Club and the race itself to, to sell itself. So I don't think anyone could look back and say that in the great history of big race sponsorships, Kazoo was the perfect partner for the race. It was maybe a perfect partner at that time and that it was the the, the most willing partner. Um, but yeah, I think it is a concern, um, Charlotte. We've had a, a long history of, in recent years, of, of our big races um, having backers that have had some sort of connection already to the racing industry. Now, that's not a bad thing um, in the sense that if they are great partners and they happen to already have an MD or a chair that that has a love of horse racing, well, fantastic. But equally, does that indicate that it's harder for the sport to get out there to other sort of parties? I think there are, from speaking to people involved in the sponsorship market, they would tell you it's already a difficult market as it is. But there are some sponsors who have uh, perceptions of uh, welfare issues in horse racing and have perceptions of, of negativity towards racing relationship with gambling that mean that they might be reluctant to get involved so there already are organizations that maybe racing can't reach because of those angles but it would be great to see a big name lined up you know we've seen major races in other parts of the world sponsored in recent years by the likes of Longines, by the likes of bmw now we tend not to get those sort of brands over here it would be wonderful if we had a surprise in the next two or three weeks and one of those did come in to to sponsor the derby but as i say the fact that we're getting towards april and we haven't as yet got a name attached to the derby i think does indicate that it's not been an easy job for the jockey club and that's not a failing of the jockey club in, in part it's just a, 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 an example of where we are at the moment in a difficult financial uh, landscape and at a time when getting big race bonds for horse races isn't perhaps the easiest thing in the world another of your articles published in the racing post over the weekend follows up on a piece published pre-cheltenham festival featuring prominent national hunt owner chris giles and the issues that he's been experiencing with affordability checks what's the latest yeah so it's this is still the whole affordability checks um situation charlotte it's still the thing that is, is bombarding the racing post uh, email inbox uh, letters as well it's something that readers have been caught up in 
all the time, regrettably, and we're still waiting for the government's gambling white paper. And in that void, uh, bookmakers are responding to what they perceive to be Gambling Commission uh, instructions because the Gambling Commission has been so, um, so, so, uh, so unwilling, it seems, to express a clear position on this that bookmakers have been left in, in no man's land. One of those bookmakers has evidently been Labrooks based on comments that Chris Giles uh, gave to me from a column in today's newspaper, Racing Post edition and digitally um, as well. I'd spoken to Chris at Sandown on Imperial Cup Day when at that point he'd spoken about having back both his winners there, Crambo and Isio, but also said that he had each way doubles on stay away fame, Grenatine going into Cheltenham, but he wasn't actually able to access all the accounts with which he placed those bets. I spoke to him again towards the end of last week, and at that point he was saying that, you know, he reckoned he'd won about 100 grand across Cheltenham and Sandan, but there was a chunk of it, he believed about £15,000, I think it actually turned out to be just a little bit less than that, um, that he wasn't able to get to because Labrooks had put a block on his account as a result of Chris having refused at that point to comply with the request for personal financial information, primarily bank statements. Um, and again, I think what, what a lot of people found particularly perplexing about this was that here was a situation not just of a punter um, being having his account closed, but a punter having a considerable sum of money in his account, but not being allowed to access it because he had refused to undergo affordability checks and safer gambling checks. Um, that's something I think in general the bookmakers need to look at. And in a wider sense, though, again, this whole affordability check situation um, has been heightened by this one. Chris spoke of one bookmaker, Bet365, imposing on him a deposit limit of £250 a month, which when you look at how much money Chris Giles would probably spend every year buying horses and on training fees, the idea that a bookmaker thinks he should only be allowed to spend £250 a month of his own money on betting seems utterly remarkable. And I think this whole story is just another one that builds up the, the huge stack of evidence that hopefully government will take notice of when it finally, if ever, it does produce the gambling white paper. And hopefully as well, it produces something that clearly tells the Gambling Commission what it should and shouldn't be doing and doesn't give it the carte blanche that has permitted um, and has allowed uh, us to get into this situation where there's so much friction in the relationships between bookmakers and punters and crucially for British racing it's costing the sport millions and millions of pounds and that's millions and millions of pounds that you just can't afford to lose. Well, one partnership now dreaming of the success that Chris Giles encountered at the festival with Stay Away Faye, maybe even in the same race, is Cress Racing and their syndicate manager Martin Chapman joins me now. Martin, your horse Crest of Glory was a runaway winner on debut of the Goths £100,000 bumper by 15 lengths at Newbury on Saturday. Just going back to the start of your journey with him, how did you come about the horse? Well, a number of us were in a, a horse with Anthony called Serious Charges, who unfortunately died in the autumn. And um, we got the insurance payout, and 
10 of us decided to invest in a new horse with Anthony and Anthony had this horse available so 10 people that were in serious charges and five new people came together to form a syndicate to buy the horse from Anthony just a few months ago. Has this race always been the target since you bought him? Obviously not been in him that long, but in the two months when you sort of signed up, was Anthony talking about this as his target? Yes, well, I'm involved with the stable anyway, and this had been Anthony's target ever since he bought the horse back at um, Goffs in May. And the, the season progressed, and I saw updates of the horse um, in training on away days. And... Um, so yes, even before the syndicate was formed and, and when it was formed, we knew full well that this was the plan and we hope, we just hope to get there in one piece, really. Because the prize money is a huge boost. I think this year it's been restricted to four-year-olds for the first time, but that had to be a huge selling point. It was. Everyone realised that if they invested their money in the horse, they'd get a good chunk of it back should he win. Now, of course, there are no guarantees that that would happen and I did stress that to all the people joining but as as you as everyone sees um it came off and people are very happy. Anthony was on the podcast actually last week uh to just to discuss his two runners including Crest of Glory and he said you know he was sort of hopeful of good runs thought they'd keep on galloping to the line was he filling you with any confidence going into the race? Um, only that, really. But I think we're all we're all realistic and realised that we had no clue what the opposition was. You know, they could have been a, there, there would have been horses in the race that have done exactly the same as our horse and had this as the plan. So we didn't know what the opposition was. We just knew that if we got there fit and well, that uh, we'd, we'd have a decent chance. But you can never be confident about a race like this. I can imagine. And so you didn't quite expect him to do that, to do what he did. We, we certainly didn't. Um, a bit of a pessimist at heart. And when I saw the others behind him as he turned into the straight, I just thought he'd be swallowed up, not do what he did, which was just to gradually move away from them and um, win by 15 lengths. We must have had some extremely excited owners after that. We did. We were the last to be ejected from the bar at Newbury <laughs> on, um, on Saturday afternoon and plenty of champagne was drunk and, it, and it, was, it was really good. As it should be. And he handled the soft ground as sort of most Black Sam Bellamy's do. Where do you see his future? Is he a ch- sort of staying chaser in the making? Uh, well, we've had plenty of discussions since... Um, since Saturday about what we'll do with him. Um, there's a possibility that he might go for a bumper at Punchestown um, if he has another run this season at all. We, we think that Liverpool will definitely be too soon. Um, but in terms of next season, we would very much like to come back to Newbury just after Christmas for the Challo Hurdle. Um, but I think all his runs are going to be ground dependent. He obviously acts very well on soft ground, so we'll be looking for soft ground um, for him in his future engagements. But I think long term, um, he's got the size and scope to be a steeper chaser. Again, he stays so well. So I think we'd be looking at some of the long distance chases um, as he uh, as he matures. Welsh national horse in the making and maybe even more. Yeah, Midlands national, those sort of races. I mean, I, of course, 
like to hope he gets to the Cheltenham Gold Cup, but um, we'll, we'll see about that. Well, anything looked possible after that performance. Martin, thank you very much for talking to me this morning. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Finally, Lee, on Friday, Gold Cup winning rider Brian Cooper announced his retirement with immediate effect via Twitter. He was a rising star in his youth before landing the Giggins Town role very early on in his career. I believe he rode 36 Grade 1 winners. He had his ups and downs since parting ways with Michael O'Leary's operation, but he's had a career that he can be very proud of, hasn't he, Lee? Absolutely, yeah. He's had um, a number of of major victories. His name is stamped against the some of the, 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 the greatest events in, in, in jump racing. And he is still an extremely uh, young man indeed. Um, more than young enough to rebuild his life in whatever direction he chooses. And it's always uh, it's always sad when we lose a, a top talent like that, but it's equally always great news when someone leaves of their own volition at a time of their choosing, and I say with a chance to build a new life doing whatever uh, that person wishes. And we, we send good wishes to Brian Cooper for the future. And I'm sure he's not a name that we will be, um, that will be disappearing uh, from the, the racing media waves in the future. Yes, I think it sounds like he's planning a career in the bloodstock world as well as the media. So hopefully we'll be able to catch up with him on this podcast soon to see how he's getting on. And I was just about to let you go, Lee, but I can't before I get a tip from you for today, please. I'm still with you, Charlotte, but you might wish I wasn't after I, I give you my tip because I'm going very um, very nostalgic here and very soppy and hoping that at the three o'clock at Wincanton, uh, the Veterans Handicap Chaser, dear old West Approach, uh, also I back so many times over the years, can bounce back to form. He's had a bit of a uh, foray into hunter chases uh, he's not really been in the most amazing form truth be told but i just wonder if back in a in a, a professional's race with brendan powell on board he might be cajoled into contention he's a decent price and i'm tipping each way west approach in three o'clock at Wincanton. but i have to say more in hope than confidence Thanks to Lee and all my guests today. Tom Stanley will be in charge tomorrow and I believe I'll be back on Wednesday. That was episode 706. Thank you again for listening. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.